There seems to be a lot of news going on these days and these weeks and a lot of new trends we're seeing in the stories that are basically being caught on at the Conversation Project and this is Conversation.com. One thing that we're not going to talk about this week in this podcast is the actual verdict from the Derek Chauvin trial because it didn't make the top 10. But one story that almost broke in at number 11 is this one. So we get to sneak that idea in just slightly. The headline reads, Raiders owners Mark Davis says he created Teams accounts, I Can't Breathe Tweet, uh, which we pulled from SI.com. At least the story we pulled was from this with engagement of 7.23% on the day it went into the eight things to talk about newsletter. Now, basically, this is what came about from some backlash from the response. Various different people across the nation weighed in on their thoughts on the Chauvin verdict, which was guilty in all three counts. The Raiders owner, Mark Davis, said not only did he... Uh, create this tweet or now did he stand by this tweet he wrote the tweet he put it out there on the raiders account that says i can breathe essentially paraphrasing uh, a thought process that we all can breathe something that um mr floyd's brother actually said of after the verdict and now he can sleep now he can breathe trying to paraphrase it of course sounds a lot like eric gardner saying i can't breathe and mocking that way some heat going back and forth from there. You can go to our website, thisistheconversation.com, and click on the link for this week's podcast, and click on the link and read more about this story if you want to, and every single story in the entire top 10 and the whole big shebang of 213. Yes, 213 total posts this week, so you can see all the stories links there. But what you're here for here in the audio version is the stories most important, and we'll get to those in mere moments. The top 10 stories that you said were most conversational this week here on the weekly wrap-up with Jay Cleveland Payne. And this is for the week ending April the 24th, 2021. Welcome to the show. My name is Jay Cleveland Payne. This show is called The Weekly Wrap-Up because it's a weekly wrap-up of news stories that we post throughout the week on our social media feeds attached to The Conversation Project. That project lives at thisisaconversation.com. If you stop by our website in the last week or so, you've seen a couple of hopefully good improvements, a lot of new cleanups and things going on there. So stop by if you hadn't been there for a long time and see some of the new things we have going on that are I say much better, but you, of course, are the judge of things. Now, for the podcast, changes have been going on as well, but nothing too big this week, nothing too massive, just moving along the ways of making things run more smoothly and being more conversational with you and, of course, being transparent in the conversations. How does that work out? Every single day, about every 50 minutes or so, we post a link on our social media attached to The Conversation Project. On Twitter, it is TH underscore conversation. On Facebook, search for This is the Conversation. It's a blue speech bubble looking icon. We keep trying to update it, but it just keeps living on and on. And you can see the stories in your feeds as you check other things. And what you do? As you check other things throughout the day or check out our website for a new feed that gives you the Twitter feed as it goes along, you see a new story that looks interesting, looks conversational, or maybe looks like something you really, really, really want to throw some hate at, you engage with it. You read it. You like it. You love it. You hate it. You share it. You engage with it. You comment to it. And the more engagement that the story gets throughout the week, the higher score it gets, and we get more talking about it. One way it's discussed is each single weekday, Monday through Friday, in the eight things to talk about newsletter. If it's a top eight for the day, you see it there. And if it comes up in the top eight, it's a good chance it will be in the top ten for this podcast this week. Friday mornings, we take the links from about midnight central time to about 4 or 5 a.m. central time, Friday to Friday, 
put them all together, line them up in the spreadsheet, uh, weigh them out so the Facebook and Twitter gives it a true raw, a true score, not a raw score, a true equalized score. And Twitter basically runs the show these ways. And we count them down from 10 to 1, telling you which story you said, not Wolf Blitzer, not Gail King, uh, not any of the anchors said were the top stories, but you said they were. So we hit a lot of the mainstream media big-time stories, a lot of the breaking news that actually is developing news, and some of the otter news popping up from various sources we pick from all over the place. Some of them really, really stoic. Some of them kind of silly. We give it to you here in this podcast. And of course, you go to our website. This is a conversation.com. You click on a link for every single show for every single week that gives you all the links to all the stories and go deeper into the ones we talked about, the ones we barely nudged on at 11. And of course, the ones way, way down the bottom. We will give you what's at the very bottom, 213. That story is the almost relevant story for this week, the story that well, it barely registered, and this is one that basically, unlike what we expect, a late blooming story to not make it to the top or make it to the bottom, should say. This is a story that was posted earlier in the week that essentially didn't gain any traction, and the later stories gained just enough to make this one a very, very bottom pick. We'll tell you about that as well. Towards the end of the story, the end of the show, we'll give you the stats and figures how things pull out, especially how well these stories were ranked with each other and how engaged they were based on those stuff. The transparency is one of the most important things about this. It's not just me running off a list of the top stories of the week or me running off top stories that you said were top and not I said were top, telling you exactly what the numbers are. If it's a little too geeky, a little too much, let us know by emailing us at the conversation inbox at gmail.com and we can discuss how to tweak it as best as possible. But the transparency comes from the numbers and sometimes people think numbers are boring. So we wait to the end to give you the numbers and their full stats. We'll give you stats along the way, as we're going to do right now, starting in with story at number 10. Uh, this headline reads, Broadway star quits Moulin Rouge, exclamation point, musical in protest against industry silence on Scott Rudin's allegation. This is a story that I did not think uh, would take much interest, but it was interesting enough to be at the tail end of the top 10 for you guys at least. We posted it on Saturday, the 17th of April. This story gets a bump in response. That means it is more responsive, the more people engage with this than the past story, and why it's number 10 and not number 11, by 4.38%. The source for this was the independent, uh, the, the website from the UK, independentco.uk, their newspaper. And this is a Broadway story. This is, like I said, a story that would not barely interest me, but we post something every 50 minutes. And this either gained a big audience from over there or enough people here who are missing the Broadway because of missing Broadway. Let me read you to what we posted inside of the eight things to talk about newsletter the day it made the newsletter. And on that day, it had an engagement of 4.49% of all the stories in that span of time. Broadway star Karen Olivia has announced that she will not return to Moulin Rouge, the musical, in protest against producer Scott Rudin. Last week, allegations were made against the film and theater producer by his former employees, calling Rudin a, quote, absolute monster, unquote, who incited a culture of violence, workplace abuse at his production company. Rudin is yet to respond to the allegations. On Wednesday, 14 April, they put it that way because it's from Britain, Tony winner Karen Oluo, who had starred as Satine in the Broadway production of Moulin Rouge, announced on Instagram that she was using her, quote, power and leaving the show following the industry silence over the allegations against Rudin. In the video, which she captioned, quote, 
humanity is more important than my bank account, unquote, in that one. Olivia described how she could return to the show and, quote, make a lot of money, unquote. But that was unimpressed by the industry's refusal to do, quote, a lot of the stuff that needs to be done, unquote. I say the quote, unquote, because obviously I'm reading this. You want to get a smoother uh, view of these stories. Make sure you subscribe to the eight things to talk about newsletter. And, of course, click the links to see the stories in full and get the full rundown. This was actually a long story. I'm not a big Broadway fan. Actually, my wife is a bigger Broadway fan than I am, but she's following. She follows mostly the big top musicals. Her and her friend go to New York every year and see one or two shows as part of their their bonding stuff. So that's something that they do. But this is a big deal because we're not that far away from the Me Too massive unit, a massive movement, should say, uh, where people are being called out on things. And it may just be an extension of cancel culture at this point, but. We're seeing right now people being extremely vocal and people with power, as Olivio says, to say things, saying things. So if the allegations are true, something should be done to address them. If they're not true, then something should be done to kind of basically clarify them. Because no one's doing anything about the allegations, the big star of the big program, the big play that Rudin produces, is leaving to bring some attention to it. We'll see what attention gets brought to this, and we hope that the people who deserve their punishment will get their punishment, and the people who deserve some sort of vengeance or vindication will get the vindication that they deserve. Now, I mentioned the eight things to talk about newsletter. I'll talk more about getting on that newsletter in a bit, but just because it made the newsletter as the top eight stories in the span of time for the Monday newsletter, it's the full weekend from Friday to early Monday. For the rest of the days, it's basically late that day to early that next day. Sometimes a story takes a little time. It's not quite in range, but over the next couple of days, because some stories take a little while to gather gather steam, they make their way into the countdown without making it into the newsletter. This is something that we started studying when we started doing more stats on how things work out mostly to make it easier to produce and kind of see what's coming ahead of time, but also just kind of seeing what sort of anomalies happening in the system. One big one is that every so often, about once every two weeks or so, we get a not in a newsletter story that makes it into the top 10, usually relatively low because it's something that didn't roll in from the weekend that slowly pick up steam. And this is what happened for a story at number nine. So that story we pulled from insider.com has this headline, Neighbor who tossed an elderly Jewish woman off balcony while yelling Allah Akbar avoids trial because he smoked weed. The story was actually published to you guys out there to see on Sunday, the 18th of April. And it has a bumper response now from the number 10 story of 0.06%. So barely higher than the number 10 story. So it was essentially just a few points away from being a tie. But as we said, it did not register in the newsletter, which it would have showed up on Monday, more or less as a top story when it was because it was posted the weekend. So we had to go back and pull the details. And these are a few details we pulled from Insider.com. As we said, no engagement score because it was not really registering when we actually posted. The numbers get skewed after that, that stat time. So pardon me for that rambling. But here's what we have on that story. I saw a lot of response in our social media from people days past as they found this story and engaged in it. That's probably what put it over the top. Let me go back to the actual story. Here are some details. France's top court ruled on Wednesday that the killer of an elderly Jewish woman will not go to trial, France 24 reported. 
Kabil Torre admitted to murdering his neighbor, Sarah Hamill, in 2017. He shot at Allah Akbar, or God is great in Arabic, and I killed the devil shortly before throwing her off the balcony of her third floor pair's apartment. The New York Times said, On Wednesday, the court of Kassantan, France's final court of appeal, affirmed two prior judgments that ruled that Toro could not be held criminally responsible for his actions because he was in a state of drug-induced psychosis. Troy, which I've said three different times, I apologize, a drug dealer, smoked pot every day for 13 years and had up to 15 joints a day. Israel Haman reported, toxicology analysis revealed the presence of cannabis in his blood on the day he was arrested. The French newspaper Libertion said the court noted that, quote, a person is not criminally responsible if suffering at the time of the event from a psychotic or neuropic a disturbance that has limited all discernment or control, the Times said. Toroe will be held in mental health institutions until doctors deem fit to return to society, according to reports. Well, this one is a hard one to swallow. And we'll talk more about the use of weed in a bit in this story, because that um, using this story in contrast with other stories can be really, really interesting. But here's a person who murdered a person, a person who who admitted to murdering a person. And is getting off on essentially a insanity plea or a drug induced plea. But it's on something that people are essentially telling the world should be legal, should be widely used because it's basically harmless. And for the most part, makes you sleepy and want to eat a lot. This is pretty much the exact opposite of it just makes you sleepy and want to eat a lot. Although 15 joints a day does sound a bit excessive. I'm not sure if that's going to be a good enough argument to balance, counterbalance the other argument. If you agree or disagree with me on this one or just want to weigh in more on this, email us at the conversation inbox at gmail.com or you can respond in basically any social media post we have out there. We'll talk about this further as much as you want to. Keeping it going, the story we have at number eight has this headline, eight dead in shooting at FedEx facility in Indianapolis, which I always have trouble saying. The story seems so far away because it was posted on the 16th of April, and that's when you guys got a chance to see it. It gets a bump in response from the number nine story of 2.38%. The source that we pulled this from, obviously it was everywhere, was AP News. Engagement of 5.16 on the day it posted into the newsletter for Monday. And it seems like so far away, and so much has happened, but it seems like all of these shootings, we have more of these coming up unfortunately, have been just gaining steam and gaining just more more momentum so that so many are happening. It's hard to discern and talk about them all. Here's some details we pulled from the newsletter that we put out this week. The former employer employee who shot and killed eight people at the FedEx facility in Indianapolis was interviewed by FBI agents last year after his mother called police to say that her son might commit, quote, suicide by cop, unquote, the bureau said on Friday. Coroners released the names of the victims late Friday, a little less than 24 hours after the latest mass shooting to rock the U.S. Four of them were members of Indianapolis's Sikh community. The attack was another blow to the Asian-American community a month after six people of Asian descent were killed in a mass shooting in the Atlanta area and amid ongoing attacks against Asian-Americans during the pandemic. The Marion County Coroner's Office identified the dead as Matthew R., and Alexander, 32, Samaria Blackwell, 19, Amajit Jahol, 66, Jawinder Kaur, 64, Jawinder Singh, 
68, Amarjeet Sikhan, 48, Carly Smith, 19, and John Wasert, 74. The shooter was identified as Brandon Scott Hole, 19, of Indianapolis, the police, Deputy Police Chief Craig McHart told a news conference. The investigators searched a home in Indianapolis associated with Hole and seized evidence, including a desktop computer and other electronic media, McHart said. Hole began firing randomly at people in the parking lot at the FedEx facility late Thursday, killing four before entering the building, finally shooting four more people, and then turning the gun on himself, McCart said. He said he did not know if Hole owned the gun legally. Now, we found out later, as I said, this was a, a report from, this was an updated report from out of time, the beginning of the weekend, from the time the initial posting was out there. And what we have is more details coming forward. And a list of plenty of things throughout the week to make this something hard to remember that it happened just a week ago. Uh, find out that the firearm he had at this point in time was purchased legally. But also when the FBI investigated him previously, they actually seized a shotgun from him because, you know, he was deemed too unstable to have it at, at the time. But then, of course, able to buy another 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 gun later on. This is something that will be definitely dealt with and talked about for weeks to come as we are now dealing with uh, more pushes for gun control and mental health checks in regards to gun control. The, the, the noise of this story and stories like this, even though plenty of them have popped up in the last few weeks, have been drowned down by other stories out there. And that's what we say. We only can talk about 10 of 213 for this week. But this is something that's obviously not going away. So it's something that will be brought up in some form, especially in legislative form, sooner rather than later. At number seven, here's your headline. Whistleblowing teacher accuses NYC's elite Grace Church School of indoctrinating kids with anti-racism ideology. Wednesday, the 21st of April is the day that got posted. And it got posted with a bump of response here in the countdown of 2.91% from the story at number eight. I'm going to read this story um, as we post it in the newsletter, uh, engagement of 7.09% on the day it made it to the newsletter. Um, the source was a bloggish type thing. And as I say, we post something every 50 minutes. So sometimes we're just kind of pulling at things that look relatively interesting, even if I don't or the rest of the team that sort of puts things in there doesn't see it as interesting. This is a hard one to follow. So bear with me. It's going to be a hard one to read. If you want more details, check out the link at our website. This is the conversation.com. Click the drop down for the links for all the podcasts, the uh, weekly wrap up podcast, and click the link for this week's podcast, week ending April 24th, 2021. Here is the write up, and we'll continue on pretty quickly past that. In recent months, Grace Church High School in Manhattan, New York, has found itself at the center of many controversies. On April 13th, in an open letter, a teacher at the elite's private school that reportedly costs a whopping $57,000 a year called out the institution criticizing its indoctrination of students and anti-racist training and teaching. In a column published Tuesday by former New York Times opinion writer Barry Weiss titled, I refuse to stand by while my students are indoctrinated, Paul Rossi, a math teacher at the school, called to attention the various allegations alleged error, I should say, on part of the institution. The school was previously on the receiving end of flack for issuing a, quote, inclusive language, unquote, guide that allegedly warned staff, students, and parents against assuming someone's gender and using terms such as 
mom and dad, or even parents, and Merry Christmas when referring to life at home. In the open letter, the teacher goes on to write, this is from the letter, anti-racist training sounds righteous, but it is the opposite of truth in advertising. It requires teachers like myself to treat students differently on the basis of race. Rossi wrote that before going to explain how indoctrination is allegedly implemented like this. My school, like many others, induces students via shame and sophistry to identify primarily with their race before their individual identities are fully formed. Students are pressured to conform their opinions to those broadly associated with their race and gender and to minimize or dismiss individual experiences that don't match those assumptions. The morally compromised status of oppressor is assigned to one group of students based on the immutable characteristics. In the meantime, dependency, resentment, and moral superiority are cultivated in students considered oppressed. This is one that's really deep and really hard to follow, uh, even though many people responded back and forth with their opinions. Some of them were in line with the words that were written. Some of them were just sort of taking the headline, taking bits and pieces and running with them as they wanted to. I don't judge in either way, but if you want to deep in this deep dive in this one further on, email us at the conversation inbox at gmail.com and we can go deeper into these back and forth or keep sharing the story and talking about it because that's what we really want is more people in the conversation sharing their story and having relatively calm conversations about these types of stories. At number six, this headline, one dead, two wounded in Long Island grocery store shooting persons of interest at large Tuesday, the 20th of April is the day we posted this one. And this one is one that got a little bit of help, but not that much help from Facebook. This is the highest ranking Facebook story of the week. As we say often towards the end, we're going with stats. Twitter runs the show. The store, this Twitter the response on Twitter is so high that basically ranks the top 10 or makes the top 10 possible. And a Facebook story will basically move a couple stories here or there. This one moved it from lower in 10 to basically right around dead center. And number six, based on the Facebook push to this story, the bump in response for the headline going from a seven to six is 12.43% here for the top 10 list. Let me read you what we have. We pull this from NBC News engagement of 19.01% total on the day it was posted. So this was a big deal the day it was posted. A gunman clad in black opened fire inside a Long Island supermarket Tuesday, killing one and wounding two more, police said. Gabriel DeWitt Wilson was identified as a person of interest in the 11, 19 a.m. attack in West Hempfield, a suburb about 27 miles east of New York City, Nassau County Police Commissioner Patrick Ryder told reporters. Then, at about 3.11 p.m., Nassau County Executive Laura Corrin announced that a suspect was, quote, in custody. The person killed is a 49-year-old man, while two other victims were taken to nearby hospitals and were alert, Ryder added. Their names and conditions were not immediately released by authorities. The shooting occurred in an upstairs manager's office at a stop-and-shop supermarket, police said. Quote, that person of interest we believe is the shooter, Ryder said. He left the scene and he was still carrying the handgun. Of course, they have brought him into custody and they're working on what's going on. This is a story that didn't get a lot of traction anywhere because by the time it turned out to be posted, a whole lot of other things had happened. And it turned to be because of the number of people. I don't believe this counts as a mass shooting. I think a mass shooting involves four people being shot because you've got to have a definition. You've got to have some sort of standard. That standard 
isn't met with three people being shot, one person dying. So this wasn't a big national thing. And fortunately, and I say fortunately, these stories don't turn into large events where, you know, one thing happens and now the news meter has to sit there for weeks at a time broadcasting live from places. One, COVID's an issue. Two, a lot of other things are going on. And three, these things are so frequent that people would just be picking up tent stakes every single week and going to some other place and they'd never be back at home base. This is um, another difficult story to kind of take in, but it's one that has to be taken in because you guys voted it up to number six. So that's pretty substantial. Uh, if you want to see more stories like this or not see more stories like this, you have the controls. You have the con for this one. You simply go to our social media feeds at this is a conversation on Facebook and TH underscore conversation on Twitter. And as the stories are posted, you just simply engage with them as you need to to see more of it, whether you want to because you love it or want to because you hate it. Just more engagement with the stories braises the engagement score, as you see, and you can see which stories pop up on a daily basis, Monday through Friday, inside the eight things to talk about newsletter. And also at the end of the week with the countdown for the top 10 for the week. Now, let's talk about the newsletter for a moment, because that's one of the ways that you can support the work we have here at the Conversation Project. The newsletter came into a way to expand the offerings, to do more transparency and to show more stuff, to be more conversational with you out there. Every single weekday, Monday through Friday, we give you eight stories that were meant at the time to be water cooler type stories, stuff that people were talking about towards the end of the day and will be talking about to begin the day so that when you show up for work, you'd have some sort of conversational starters to kind of go on. Some things that wasn't just the big breaking news cry on that's always out there. Now, obviously, we're starting to have more people back to work and back to working. So it's turning back into a water cooler style newsletter. But it also is just a pulse of people and what's thoughts going on. Monday through Friday for the Monday edition, we go from Friday morning to Monday morning and give you the eight top stories for the weekend. For Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, it's essentially 24 to 36 hours back. Top stories that are people are talking about, you guys are conversating on and reacting to using our social media feeds. And they give you a great, rich bunch of stories that aren't necessarily what you'll see in all the other newsletters. Now, granted, I, I read lots of new let, newsletters for email for the news, morning news and afternoons and evening news. Some of it is for clearly purposes of their competition. So I want to see what they're getting out there. And some of it is for truly knowing what's going on because they offer up things as well. And I, I source some of them to get the actual ideas as I pull things out throughout the day. But this is a newsletter that is normally different. Maybe 60 percent of the stories may be shared in various other newsletters because they are top stories. But each one has its own different sort of flavor. And this is one that talks about stories that are important, but are big, but they're not big because I necessarily say they are. I give them a shot and then you tell me what were the biggest stories based on your engagement throughout the day. So to find out what you thought about the stories from the day prior or for the weekend prior, if we're talking about for the Monday edition, go to our website. This is a conversation dot com and click on the link to subscribe to the eight things to talk about newsletter or look for basically any of our products we have going out there. And they have, usually have a link for the newsletter there to subscribe as well. Check it out. Eight things to talk about Monday through Friday. Start your day off with eight of some of the biggest and maybe not so big to the world, but soon to be big stories that you should be checking into every single day.
Let's keep moving on with the countdown. Now at the story headline, we listed at number five. And this is what I include because this, for me, has changed my mind on the GOAT in basketball. Not in the term GOAT because I still think it's horrible, but on who the actual GOAT could be. LeBron James invited Stephen Curry to his house to bowl, beat him easily, then dropped 31 points on the Warriors the next day in a win. Wednesday, the 21st of April is the day we posted this one with a bump in response from the story at number six of 63.82%. So you guys, apparently a lot of you guys thought this one needed to be out there as well. Uh, Let me read what we put out there. Sportscasting.com, a newish sort of blog that's popping up in the news feed readers a lot with some of the stories interviews are having is the source of this. And the day it made the newsletter, 14.23% engagement on that day. Yes, you guys thought. This was a cool one, too. During the 2009-2010 season, Stephen Curry and the Golden State Warriors traveled to Cleveland in November to face LeBron James and the Cavs. The day before the two teams played, LeBron and Curry hung out at James's house and bowled together. Not only did LeBron James get the best of Stephen Curry in bowling, but he also torched the Warriors on the basketball court the following day. The Cavs defeated the Warriors by a final score of 114-108 on November 17, 2009. LeBron James finished with 31 points, 5 rebounds, 12 assists, while shooting 57.9% from the field. Stephen Curry played fairly well in his first professional game against LeBron. The Davidson product scored 14 points on 6 of 10 shooting from the floor. However, Curry left Cleveland 0-2 versus the four-time MVP as he lost in bowling and in basketball. In 2009-2010 season was LeBron's final campaign in Cleveland during his first stint with the Cavs. He signed with the Miami Heat in the summer of 2010 and won two championships in South Beach. Former number one overall pick then returned to the Cavs in 2014 and won his third title in 2016 over the Warriors. Uh, 70, uh, they were 73-9 that season. Now, of course, the Warriors were able to best the Cavs after that. And so we won't go into that stuff. But the reason why this one was so interesting and, and what would normally be just sort of a toss away story, a, a kicker story on in the vernacular of the news, is the fact that um, LeBron James beating Stephen Curry in his rookie season in bowling and then going out and beating him um, in that game the night before was such a Michael Jordan move that he basically moves him to a 1A, if you will, in the best, the best in the game of basketball, not so much for the game per se, but in just doing Michael Jordan level BS stuff. That type of level of taunting is on point with Jordan sitting out in his Lambo, watching the team bus come in, asking who's got him that night and then telling him how many points he's going to score on, on that night. Cause that's the stuff that Jordan did. Uh, this one is top level. Um, you may have your thoughts on Michael Jordan as a person versus Michael Jordan as a player. You may have your thoughts on LeBron James as a person versus LeBron James as a player as well. But this right here is top-level foolery in the mind games department, so I love it. I love it. At number four, Royal Ballet star Liam Scarlett, 35, found dead amid inappropriate behavior allegations. This story came from the Mirror, mirror.co.uk. The day it was posted in the newsletter for Eight Things to Talk About, engagement was 29.9%, pretty highly engaging. The day uh, we posted for you to see out there was on Monday, the 19th of April, and it got a bumper response here in the newsletter, or I'm sorry, here in the podcast from the number five story of 23.3%, also pretty engaging as well. Let me read you from the headlines that we posted from that day. 
Internationally renowned choreographer Liam Scarlett has died at the age of 35. Scarlett has been suspended from the Royal Ballet amid allegations of inappropriate behavior with male students. Scarlett was the youngest choreographer to have a full-length ballet commissioned by the company. Scarlett's position with the Royal Ballet ended last year when the Royal Opera House, which is home to the Royal Ballet Company, said that an independent investigation into Scarlett had been concluded. The artist-in-residence was investigated over claims of sexual misconduct involving students. The allegations went sent shockwaves through the ballet world, with Australia's Queensland Ballet among those to cut ties with Scarlett. This is one that, once again, not exactly in my wheelhouse on keeping up with on on news stories. So, like we said, we post things from various different sources, very different types, and see what stories turn out to be conversational. This one on that day, pretty big for you guys in the, in the newsletter world and also making it into the top 10 this week at number four. Pretty high standing for that story. You want to go deeper into it, we can do it offline, even though offline is online these days, email us at the conversation inbox at gmail.com and you can email. We can talk back and forth there. More details on this story and all the stories that we dealt with in the last week found at this is conversation.com. Click the drop down for the podcast, which is weekly wrap up and click the link for this week's podcast week ending April 24 2020. We told you we'd go back to weed, and we are back, and we're back big time. Here's your headline. NFL players can smoke marijuana for the first time during the offseason, and the window opened on 420. Wednesday, the 21st of April is when we posted this one, of course, because we heard about it on 420, so we posted it on 421. And the bump in response from the number four story is 2.99, so 3%. Insider.com, which gives us... Some, I'll say insider stuff, various things from the world of entertainment, and this is fairly entertaining, gave us a story. 18.7% engagement the day it was posted in the newsletter. Here's a little quick snippet from what we posted on that day. The NFL opened its random drug test window on Tuesday, but this will be the first year the league doesn't test for chemical found in marijuana. Under the league's new collective bargaining agreement, CBA, which had which was passed last year, players will not be tested for Delta 9 TC, THC carbolic acid. Wow, that's that's a lot to test for, which is a prominent chemical found in cannabis from April 20 to August the 9th. The start date of April 20 coincides directly with the popular cult holiday 420, which is dedicated to celebrating marijuana. There you go. The holiday has become so popular among mainstream Americans in recent years that Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer went, on, so went as far as to call it, quote, an unofficial American holiday on Tuesday. <sighs> Man, Chuck. Players will be tested for THC once training camps open in August. However, the new CBA has also raised the threshold for a positive marijuana test from 35 nanograms to 150 and eliminates suspensions for positive drug tests. Instead, NFL will issue fines for up to three weeks pay. NFL will be moving away from severe discipline for marijuana use in an approach to focus treat more on treatment. If a player tests positive during training camp, his test is reviewed by a board of medical professionals appointed by both the players and the league. The board then decides if the player needs treatment. Overall, public support for cannabis reform has grown in recent years as several states have moved to end restrictions on the recreational drug. In November, a Gallup poll revealed that a majority of Americans, 68%, that's a majority, favor legalization. 
So in the story we had previous talking about the man who smoked way so much weed that he went crazy and killed the person blaming or exclaiming the love of Islam in the process sort of does not jive with what we're going doing here. So we're going to assume that the drug marijuana weed itself is more the happy, happy, happy drug and not the crazy, crazy, crazy drug. And because many places here in the United States where most of our news is focused on for the newsletter is many places are finding ways to relax on the use of it or at least back away from a lot of the the the, the charges and the rest for it. Uh, we're, we're going to find this to be more and more like alcohol, regular alcohol day by day. Yes, there are regulations. Yes, there are people who have problems with alcohol. And yes, there are consequences for those things as well. So there will be for way too much of weed as a as a recreational drug. But since it's not and, I, and I'd, I'd say this, you know, this is coming from Jay Cleveland Payne and not any sort of medical expert. Since it's not essentially shooting up heroin or taking oxycodone, uh, this is something that should not be on the same level for enforcement as those types of things. Now, if you agree with me or disagree with me, we can chat that out in the email as well. Always email us at the conversation inbox at gmail.com or just reply inside of any of these social media things and we can chat back and forth there as we check those off as well. Story at number two, almost at number one, is this one. This royal expert thinks Prince Harry's cold royal reception is proof he and Meghan Markle won't last. The story that we pulled was essentially a pulled from aggregated from the MSN.com aggregation news point. The engagement on the day, it made the newsletter 20.73% because y'all love some Meghan and Harry stories. In the podcast itself, it's got a bump in response from the number three story of 12.08% and we posted it for you to actually read it so you actually got your chance to put it into place and get it into play on Wednesday, the 21st of April. So this is a midweek thing, uh, or which is really lower or it, uh, sort of late weekish type of stuff. Remember, things go from Friday midnight to Friday 5 a.m. So this was a later thing that pulled a lot of weight and it pulled a lot of weight because y'all love some Megan and Harry stories. Let me read you what what they said. I believe we pulled this or or MSM pulled it. From um, the, the mirror, actually, they pulled it from page six, to be honest. Uh, so that that was an, an oddity in itself. They pulled it from American tabloid. But here's what that royal expert says. And we'll we'll chime in a bit on in the back end. I'm, I'm, I'm growing warmer to Harry and Meghan stories because you guys just can't get enough of them. Lady Colin Campbell, royal expert and author of biographies like Harry and Meghan, The Real Story, had a different interpretation that most than most when watching the funeral proceedings for the late Prince Philip, Duke of Edinburgh. While many looked for a moment of reconciliation between Prince William and Prince Harry, Campbell appears to have had a different reunion on her mind, that of Harry and the royal family at large. In a comment to page six, Cindy Adams, to page six is Cindy Adams, should say, Campbell contended that Harry's cold reception from the royal family was proof that he and wife Meghan wouldn't, quote, last. Campbell appears to argue that Meghan, Duchess of Sussex, went a step too far with the accusations in her Oprah interview, the most damning of which dealt with the royal family's racism, handling of mental health, and concern for their safety. Campbell's claim that Meghan and Harry, quote, won't last, unfortunately, fails falls in line with previous work critical of the Sussexes and suspicions of their ambitions on a global stage. 
But while Harry may be shaken by the relative chill which his family received him, it's going to take a lot more than the estrangement he initiated to get him to regret marrying Meghan Markle, in our humble opinion. The R is the writers of the story, not me, because I don't want to get that deep into the weeds with them. But you guys love some tabloids and you guys love some royals and you love our American princess who who essentially turned the nose to the her prince of her prince of her prince of her prince to his family and is leading to a path of whatever. Harry, not the first prince to uh, essentially abdicate his royal stuff because of some American and advocate his royal stuff just because of some woman saying that that way on purpose. Uh, but we'll see whether this marriage lasts and this thing goes on. Remember, Prince Charles had his divorce from Diana. And of course, Prince Andrew had his divorce from Sarah Ferguson, making Fergie a thing for a while until she wasn't. So whether um, Meghan Markle, who already sort of was her own thing until she married into this, this family, We'll find out whether this marriage lasts, what goes on beyond that, what goes on with Harry. And in a world where I'd like to be like, man, who cares? I have to care because this is a reflection. The conversation project is about you and the stories that people really want to talk about. And enough of you really, really want to keep talking about Megan and Harry, Harry and Megan. And now a story that I really thought would be a non-story, even though it was trending pretty long and it took me more than a few hours to actually put it into the system because I thought it would die down by the time I got there. Your fanfare, because these stories make fanfare. The top rated Twitter story of the week. Usually number one is top rated Twitter story that falls in line. It was posted on Thursday, the 22nd of April. So literally late in the day, less than 12, 14 hours before we're cutting things off. This one shot to the top of the list. 19.83% more engaging than the number two story for the countdown. For the number 10 story this week, which was the Broadway star quitting the show because of allegations against the producer, this one was more engaging by 203, 232%, 233% basically with the rounding up from the change. And from the story at the very bottom, we call it the almost relevant story of the week because it is so low at 213. We'll give you that story at the end of the show, but it was more engaging than that story by 55,500%. That's how many more people were into that one. And this one had so much less time to get there. The day it posted into the newsletter, it had an engagement of 32.08% in the day's worth of stuff. That's, of course, Friday morning. That's extremely big for a Friday morning. We pulled it straight from page six. This thing was trending on Twitter all day-ish until we got to it. Barstool CEO Erica Nardini allegedly having an affair with squash coach. The headline isn't enough. Here comes a bit of the story. Flashy Bar School, Barstool Sports CEO Erica Nardini appears to have had an explosive affair with her married squash coach. Back in early April, a paid six spy told us that they've been at the Digital Giants New York headquarters and had seen Nardini run out and kiss another man who wasn't her husband. She seemed real excited to see the guy. That's the full quote from the last thing. Now, page six has exclusively learned that the hotshot exec may have left her banker husband for her squash instructor. Breaking up the racket man's marriage in the process. Sources say Erica and Brett Nardini became members of the new Canaan Kanji Country Club, 
Say that three times fast. In Connecticut last summer, but that Brett signed up Erica for squash lessons with a pro, Yavin Swiss Baden, in December. But Baden's wife, middle school teacher Cynthia, became curious when she noticed that over three week period, Swiss started coming home from the lessons, which had started around 8 p.m. at 2 a.m. or 3 a.m., which seems the coach and student had gotten into a habit of hanging out with two other pals at the club bar until the early hours. Apologies for bad reading. I don't know what the deal is. And this one, so let me keep going. Page six is told that the pair have been planning for their retirement and had recently bought a vacation home together. And Swiss had just flown to Michigan where Cynthia had taken a short break from her four sons between 17 and 26 to surprise her on her birthday. But Cynthia was devastated on January the 8th, 2021 to discover text messages that included that indicated Swiss had left their home to travel to New York and spend the day in bed with Erica. She also discovered from the messages that they were planning a future together. So apologies for the bad reading of it. Apologies for just the bad read it is. But that is what it is. There a lot you can say about barstool sports. A lot of it is, you know, how are they so popular? And it's popular because the dudish sort of vibe that they have and the dudish sort of vibe they have has been continuing in fact has been thriving under a non-dude at the at the helm so basically as i often say you don't necessarily have to be in the club to understand the what, what's behind the club and that is mostly money so a lady is able to do guyish type stuff which oddly enough a lot of girls a lot of women are into the bar stool type stuff and make things work She's also doing guys type stuff like you doing the whole, you know, diddling around uh, in other people's lives and affairs and stuff like that on that. Just, you know, regular people can't get away with. But because people are high up on some sort of corporate level, they do. And because they are rich and don't particularly care what you think they do. Now, what's my real opinion on this? The number one story is usually where I try to save the bulk of my actual commentary what's going on. And this is one that I'm not really going to go deep dive into other than the fact that you really should know what your CEOs are up to and what the bosses of the things that you love are up to, because that tends to give you an idea what the culture is. Barstool Sports has a back culture of being a misogynist, which if you'd like their 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 contribution, you like their stuff and don't care about the politics is all fine and dandy. But if you have women working in a place and you supposedly offer up equal opportunity and you're not so equal and extremely rude and sometimes lewd to women, there's a problem. And if the CEO is doing stuff like this, stuff that we normally just sort of see or just assume in the old white guys that run the old school business, if the young white woman can do the same thing. Well, then that's not glass ceiling breaking and that's not equal opportunity. That's just somebody else doing bad things and trying to find new excuses to fit a newer person in the mold that's doing it. Because someone we're not expecting to doing of doing bad stuff is now doing it doesn't mean, you know, we find a new excuse for them. So I being none of the person who approves on extramarital fears, um, I'm not big on this. I also being not a person who really cares about digging into too deep into people's personal lives who I have no affiliation with also don't particularly care about what's going on. I feel for the families involved that have no say in it. And I feel for any children because that's where things really suck. But for the most part, these are adults doing really stupid adult things, but adult things. I own no stock in any bar stool property. I don't 
read their stuff or watch their stuff or uh, have satellite radio, don't listen to their radio stations. I, I basically pick up on stuff when someone's done something really, really wrong or really, really odd and it's popped them into a news story and I you know, may pull it out there for you to see. This week, I did that, and you guys wanted to see this. You guys wanted to read this. You guys wanted to talk about it. And so we talked about it. It is the top story for this week, per se you. Now, if you want more stories like this one, you just keep doing what you're doing. If you want less stories like this one at the top, you need to raise up more stories. Go to our social media on Facebook. Look for This is a Conversation. And on Twitter, we are TH underscore conversation. And as you check your feed or just check directly to these sources or our website, you can see what stories are trending at the time, what stories we're talking about, I should say. And if it's a story that is interesting to you, number one, read the full story. Get the full details of the story. Then engage with it. Like it. Love it. Share it. Chat with us going back and forth. And the more engagement story gets, the higher score gets at the end of the week. Here, this one, you wanted to talk about Erica Nardini, 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 say that four times fast. And we did. And that's how it got there because of you. You made this happen. This is all of you. Now, we talked earlier about supporting the podcast, supporting the conversation project, supporting things we're doing. We talked specifically about the eight things to talk about newsletter, but there are other things that we can use your help with. This is a labor. This is a lot of work, a lot of effort. This is studio time. We come to a real studio to try to produce this and we take, you know, every day we're posting stories and we're writing up newsletters, doing what best we can. It's a, it's a very small operation. A lot of people who are really tired working big time, full-time jobs, are doing this to push this little dream I have to kind of make it go a little larger. So if you are one of our longtime lovers of this, we thank you so much for being here. And the number one thing anyone can do out there is to download the podcast and read the newsletter. Make sure you are engaging with what's going on. So if you're just subscribed to the podcast and downloading it and checking it out, you are doing us a great service on its own. Now, this is the the big blue-eyed crying tear things coming to you at this point. It also requires resources, and the more you can help out with those things, the better it is as well. We have more resources to bring more people in to work on these things, to lighten the load, uh, make sure that we're getting paid for studio time and and website time and the, the newsletter subscriptions and things like that. And so anything you can do to help along those lines are great as well. If you stop by our website or you are in our feed or you see our newsletter, There'll be various ads out there on the newsletter, on the feed and on the website. Click a banner, click a link for any of those suppliers, any of those people who will do what they can to make you happy because that's how they stay in business. When we send them you, they send us a little bit of your purchase. It doesn't add to anything that you're doing. It's essentially it's affiliate link, just like going to Amazon and clicking someone's link in your smile.amazon account. The people that you buy from We'll give a little bit to those folks. We get a little bit back on affiliate ads, affiliate worth, and it works out to a great deal to help keeping things going on. If you feel that this is really, really good content and you want to really contribute and be a part of what's going on, you can become a direct supporter by joining one of the coffee clubs of the more better media empire, for lack of better terms. We have moved our patronage, we've moved our support system to buymeacoffee.com. We moved everything off of there. We still have some presence. We haven't deleted our Patreon account and we haven't deleted the coffee.com account as well. 
But the new systems they have over at Buy Me a Coffee allow you to do different levels of membership. And it's just a simpler way for us to manage it because you can go there for a one time gift of a coffee or you can be a member in our coffee clubs. And coffee clubs have various different levels of support. The any little penny you want to give us is great. And the really kicker thing is our top level right now is basically billboard sponsor. So if you want to become a sponsor and take up this live read time here inside of this podcast or any of some of my other ones out there, uh, check it out by going to buymeacoffee.com slash J Cleveland Payne, buymeacoffee.com slash J Cleveland Payne. So to quickly recap, you can support us directly, give money right into our pockets by going to buymeacoffee.com slash J Cleveland Payne. You want to do Cash App, a Venmo, hook, uh, send us an email. We'll tell you that one as well. We will also have links at our website for ways to directly contribute and how to let us know that as well. We don't want to get, trust me, I learned when I was selling insurance, anybody that walks in the door with a dollar, you want them to leave with 50 cents because you want to get a piece of that. If you don't feel the need or the desire or to, to basically do direct contributions, but you do see good things that we're offering them anyway, click one of our links for one of our sponsors. And as you purchase from them, we get a little bit back for that end. It's an awesome thing that you can help us out doing to keep this thing going. I love doing it. I love doing it for you. And I love the responses I get when I chat with people about what's going on, but it is something that takes up a good chunk of time. Uh, If this were a full-time gig, it'd be awesome. We could do so many things with it and we're not necessarily pushing for that, but uh, it does take time, effort and resources and people to make this thing work out. And the more you can help us with that, the better it is for all of us. So let's break down the stats before we get into the almost relevant story. The details of that one today. As we said, the story at number one uh, is tops as it, of everything going on. The engagement for the week with the store, we told you that it was uh, 19.83% more engaging than the story at number two. And on the day we posted in the newsletter on that day. In those stories, it was 32, basically 32% uh, engagement. Of the full weeks of engagement, we put everything top to bottom. It pulled 5.83% of engagement total. That's about 6%. Uh, the top 10 this week, back to something close to normal. Uh, we had those massive big stories with all the massive, oddly enough, shootings, just ironically. Uh, but this massive big story um, was not quite as large in in, in, in the, the anomaly in the numbers. So it turned out to be 31.92% of the engagement for the top 10 stories total, which is more or less in line, 35%, more or less in line with what should be normal. Alongside of that, the 11 through 15 stories, which were still pretty high, uh, more or less in the range, those usually top out about 7%. This week, 8.01%. That's stories that include a number 11 story we talked in the headlines about uh, Mark Davis from the Raiders saying, I wrote that tweet on I Can't Breathe on the on Twitter account for the Raiders. Now, at the very, 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 very bottom, the story at the bottom, we told you it was 55.500% less engaging than the number one story. Its engagement rank on its own with everything top to bottom is 0.01%. That's lower than the average of 0.03%. Um, but since it's that low, you know, it doesn't make that much difference going forward. Oh, by the way, Twitter was a beast this week with 953 uh, versus 4.57% total engagement. So it's basically 96 to or 95 to 5, 96 to 4, based on how you want to round it up there. This was not a big week for the Facebook engagement, but 
Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. Twitter runs the show, and we know that. But we wrap up the show with word on story at the bottom. The almost relevant story this week is the headline at number 213. We posted it on Tuesday, the 20th of April, so it had plenty of time to gain some traction, but gain basically nothing. Your headline, judge orders L.A. to provide shelter for Skid Row residents by fall. This was a big-time deal, but well, that went all along. This one kind of got left to the, left in the dust with everything going on. L.A. Times is our source for it. Let me get you the details, the blanket details for this one before we wrap it, the whole thing up. A federal judge Tuesday ordered the city of city and county of Los Angeles to offer housing to the entire unhoused populations of Skid Row by October. Fed up by what he called government inaction, bureaucratic paralysis, and a lack of accountability, Judge David O. Carter said in his order that all single women and unaccompanied children must be offered shelter within three months Families of four months and every single unhoused resident should be given the opportunity to come off the streets by October the 18th. It is the latest order in a sweeping lawsuit about homelessness in Los Angeles and came just one day after Mayor Eric Garcetti vowed to spend nearly one billion dollars to get people off the streets. Garcetti called the timing, the timetable set by Carter unprecedented. That's his words. Carter blasted Garcetti in that order, writing that despite the power to declare the homelessness crisis an emergency, which would allow the city to, quote, bypass the bureaucracy and eliminate the efficiencies that currently stifle progress. The mayor has not employed the emergency powers given to him by the city charter, despite overwhelmingly overwhelming evidence that the magnitude of the homeless crisis is beyond his control of the normal services of the city government. There's a lot of quotes and unquotes in there, so bear with me. There's more in there as I read on, so just kind of go along with me. He also ordered that nearly that the nearly one billion proposed in Garcetti's budget plan, quote, be placed in escrow forthwith with funding streams and counted for and reported to the court within seven days. The 110 page order was in response to a request submitted last week in the year old federal lawsuit by the plaintiffs that sought immediate court intervention to compel the city and county to quickly and efficiently address the city's homelessness crisis. But Skip Miller, outside counsel for the county, said Carter's order went well beyond his words what the plaintiffs had asked for. He added that the county was evaluating his opinion, its opinions, it's a it, not a he, including the possibility of an appeal to the U.S. Ninth Circuit Courts of Appeals. We actually had in the last couple of weeks in the top 10 for the week, a story about the skid roll people uh, and essentially what Garcetti is doing, paying a bunch of money to get them off the streets as they're being some cases is literally picked up and placed someplace else to get them off of the streets of Los Angeles. This is a big time problem for everyone. Homelessness is a big problem, which deals with economy type stuff, deals with mental health type stuff, deals with public wellness type stuff. And in times of COVID, it gets that much more complicated as the resources that would normally help out a lot of people, either because they're homeless for economics or they're having issues on mental health or just whatever's going on. There'd be a lot more relief and probably a lot less of the active people just sort of being out and about. Even with the relaxing of the orders for evictions, there'd be less people out there out there. This is now becoming an issue that more people are looking into, even though I's been on this for quite some time. But more people are looking into from a government standpoint, from a federal standpoint. And here, the big time judge in Los Angeles or in the, in the area uh, is pushing on the big time mayor of Los Angeles and the entire county, all the people around to just deal with it and deal with it now. Such as saying, fix it by October. Fix it by October. Final. Sounds pretty impossible. 
That's what they've been given to do. We'll see how well all that stuff goes on. And we'll see if stories like this one or what other stories will continue to be the stories that you really want to talk about. This week, it wasn't one, but we'll see if next week something like this is more in your wheelhouse. We have completed the entire show here for the weekly wrap-up from The Conversation Project at thisisconversation.com. Of course, stop by our website to get the full podcast. And if you're not subscribed to the podcast, you can see how to do that at that website or basically anywhere pods are cast. Search for a weekly wrap-up and you can basically find us. We're the blue speech bubble-looking thing, just like you see us on Facebook and on Twitter. Check us out and you can find us there. On Facebook and Twitter, not only can you see what stories we're talking about, your engagement makes this lineup, makes this sheet, gives me everything I talked about here and everything between 11 and 2.13 that I didn't talk about today. So you can see every single link to every single story that was published, including some of the ads and things that we had by going to the website. This is a conversation.com. Click the drop down for the weekly wrap up. Those are podcasts or click on podcasts, if you will. And Click on the podcast for this week, which is the week ending April the 24th, 2021. Email us at the conversation inbox at gmail.com for any sort of conversation you want to have going on. Remember, this podcast and the whole project is powered by you. Go to this is a conversation.com slash partnerships and see how you can directly partner with us or just stop by buymeacoffee.com slash J Cleveland Payne. Yes, I give way too many calls to action, but just check those things out or click on any link for any sponsor and Buy from them and they'll send a bit from us and affiliate links there as well. Subscribe, be a friend, chat us up and make sure you are keeping an eye on things that are going on throughout the week. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for being a part of this whole thing. It cannot be done without you. And so I'm going to go back to work posting stories for the rest of the week so you can judge them and you be the judge. Then tell me what I'm going to talk about when we do this thing for next week. So for all the crew, all the folks behind the scenes and for me, Jay Cleveland Payne, I'm Jay Cleveland Payne. It's not how to say that, but I'm still Jay Cleveland Payne and the crew, we love you. We appreciate you and we're hard at work making sure that we have another great podcast for you next week. So stick around. Keep an eye out for those stories, and if there's something we're missing, let us know. We'll talk to you next week going into the stories, counting them down, 10 to 1, that you told us were the most conversational. Thank you so much.